This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is time for Mariner's Memories. This is a fun one as we get a chance to sit down with Charles Gibson, the fan favorite who played for the Mariners from 1998 to 2002 he did everything played everywhere in a Mariners uniform and he has some stories to tell and we start for those of you that never saw Charles Gibson play he described himself as a player I would say I was a um I was a a hard-nosed player that played the game hard and fast and all out I left everything on the on the on the field I I, I would say I played it and I, I don't want to get into new school, old school, but I would say I played it maybe the old school way because I learned from Lou Pinella how to how to play baseball, and that was kind of the grimy, uh, you know, go hard and, and uh, play hard mentality. What was it like playing for Lou? Oh, it was amazing, man. I mean, uh, uh, well, I'll just tell you a Lou story real quick. This is how my time in Seattle kind of started. I I remember I had a start one day and I, I want to say it was 99 or 98 and um, I'm still a young player at this time I'm not quite sure my role um, everybody that gets called to the big leagues you think you're just supposed to be a starter and just play every day and, and that's not kind of how it works you, everybody has been you know trained and you have a role and so um, I didn't quite know my role yet so I was starting in right field against I think Finley was pitching um, a left-hander and I was batting ninth, and he had got knocked out of the game before I even came up to the plate. And he pinch hit for me. And so I blew up, you know, in the dugout. And um, I'd never done that before, but I just really didn't understand what was going on, and I kind of lost my cool a little bit. And uh, we kind of got in each other's face a little bit, and he's like, get up there in the dugout, like, you know, and, in, I just remember a couple of my buddies saying, hey, man, you might want to pack your bags up, man. That's that's not kind of how you want to do things around here. So I went upstairs in the locker room, sat down, and I just felt like, man, I just blew my opportunity in the big leagues. Uh, you know, I was yelling at this coach who's a legendary coach, and I embarrassed myself. And I'm just kind of sulking a little bit. The game's over, and um, Lou Pinella comes up, sits down with me with, with some cold beverages, and – opens one up and hands it to me and says, um, you can play for a couple years or you can play for a lot of years. And he goes, I'm not mad at you for you being upset in that situation, but understand that everybody has a role. And if you've got to fit that role, then you will be here for a long time. And so that was like a learning lesson from Lou for me. Um, and, his, and it's a test of his personality and his managing skills. And so um, it brought the best out of me from then on, that forward, on, uh, that time on. I just uh, I, I worked hard. I kept my mouth shut, um, did what they told me to do. And by the blessings, I was able to stay there quite a while and help the team win 116 games. 
You know, it's amazing when you look at the roster when you first came up and just to see the players that were on that team when you first got to the Mariners. I mean, you're talking about some of the best of the best, right? Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., you know, Edgar Martinez, Alex Rodriguez. You look around. What was it like to look around that locker room for the first time? Uh, the clubhouse that you were sharing was some of the greats of the game. Wow, it was amazing. I try to tell a lot of people, like, the hardest thing was to come up as a rookie in the, in the big leagues in the time I came up when you didn't hit home runs or didn't have power because it seemed like everybody had at least on the Mariners at that time, everybody had at least 10 or 16 home runs. It felt like, <laughs> and you see King Griffey Jr. sitting there, you see Randy Johnson. I mean, just amazing. Dan Wilson. I mean, just some great, great ball players. And, um, you know, I think the reason why I fit in so well because it didn't it didn't uh, affect me. I wasn't like, oh, these guys. Are, I mean, I respected them, but I, I in my mind, I just felt like I w- I did belong there, and that I, you know, that that, that um, I just wasn't in awe that much over it. I I, I did respect the guys, but it, it just felt like, okay, this is where I kind of belong. And so um, the reason that I think I bonded well is because it, it wasn't a big deal to me. I just fit right in real easy, and uh, we just kept it moving. And it was just a great experience. Um, but I also want to throw in Olerud, too, man. John Olerud, just mm-hmm. a great player, man. Being with the Mariners in my stint there, I had some great players come through, Hall of Famers like Ichiro that I was able to play with, um, some great players like Mike Cameron, this some really good names that um, um, you learn a lot from and that, that actually can help me these days in my coaching and helping kids um, that I took with that. You mentioned that 2001 season, and there you are. You're a guy that played nearly 100 games in that season for a team that won 116 games. What was that ride like as you're just seemingly winning every single night? It was, um, it was one of the best times of my life to know as a competitor in sports, to know that almost every game that you play, you're going to win. It was this feeling we had. It it was a weird feeling that we knew um, if we got behind, we were going to win. Like we didn't worry. We didn't stress. And um, the only time I saw a chink in that was after, towards the end of the season that year, we lost a few games, I think, um, and we went into the postseason a little bit stumbled, mm. um, just a little bit. And I saw some doubt a little bit in some of the players, and maybe that's kind of what happened. Um, it's it, when you don't, when you just ride that wave and you don't think about what's going on, you just keep riding it. It was a great feeling. We won everything, and then all of a sudden, it seemed like in the playoffs when we started really kind of thinking about it so much and stressing out. It kind of that that feeling took over a bit, mm. and we didn't play as natural as we did. But it was just an awesome regular season. Like just knowing that. I mean, I remember getting down by like five runs and just looking at people, and they're like, "Oh yeah," and we were okay, and just knowing that it was going to be fine, we were going to come <laughs> back, and we would. And it was just, uh, it was a great ride, man. So I think we only lost one series all year, and it was towards the end of the year, I believe. I mean, you're right. It, it seemed like no matter what would happen, you'd be like, yeah, they're going to win this game. It really didn't matter. It was amazing. Yep. It was like no matter what. It, we never got down. The attitude was very positive. 
Um, and it did help to have like a great leadoff guy like Ichiro getting on base, setting the table, you know, right away, and getting down by a run, having a great at bat by him, and 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 just having some great players that were clutch. Um, it didn't it didn't hurt to have those clutch players, and then the leadership. You know, I I can't say enough about the leadership. I just uh, it was just amazing, and and I'm also talking about Pat Gillick putting those places those pieces together as well. Well, you were there for the beginning of what has turned out to be a Hall of Fame career for Ichiro. Uh, what was it like, kind of behind the scenes, watching Ichiro go to work in those early days with the Mariners? It taught me a new level of preparedness for the game. Um, the routine that he goes through to put with his body to stay in shape at the time. Um, now I know why he played so long. Um, and that's kind of what he t- I took from what he had. He had great skills. I mean, great hand-eye coordination. But he, just the way he took care of his body, the way he uh, made sure he, he, he was healthy in his eating. I mean, he, he did stretching. He, he, he did this thing with his feet. What was amazing, he had like this little wooden object that he would stick in joints and like all these little places. And I was like, what is he doing? And I even tried it once and I was hurting. My foot was hurting, but he's like, you have to release these pressures so you can stay healthy. And I'm like, Oh yeah. And so I little by little started doing these little things and it helped me. So I realized um, that he had great, um, a great structure in the game that he had had from the beginning that he kept and he kept that routine going and it really worked for him. And um, it did help a lot of other players that were around him. We saw his his level of uh, preparedness for the game and the and the way he methodically went through um, like the pitching staff and all that. And it just we just grew on that together. We took it all in a little bit, and that's what I saw from him. Man, just a great mind along with the great tools. You know, whenever I talk to people about their favorite plays, individual plays from 2001, inevitably the catch that you made in left field against the Angels always comes up that secured, I think, win 104 of the season. What do you remember about that catch, that diving catch to win the ball game against the Angels? And now the left-hander set. And the 3-2 pitch to Tim Salmon on the way. Swung on and lined into the corner down the left field line. Gibson makes a diving. Unbelievable catch to end the ballgame. My, oh, my, Charles makes an unbelievable grab. That ball gets by any other outfielder. When Lou Pinella puts him out there, he... Cameron and Ichiro, he called it the greatest outfield on the planet, and now we see why. As Charles Gibson falls over after making the backhanded catch, pops up and ends this ball game. What an ending, Red. I tell you what, that was an outstanding play by Gibson. Took a little bit of a gamble, but uh, nevertheless, he made a tremendous catch, and Lou's right. With the guys that they have in the outfield, with Gibson, Cameron, and Ichiro, it is tough to hit it by them. Well, my memories aren't too uh, happy about that because um, that's the night before 9-11. So um, I woke up. I still remember, like, wanting to get up to see because um, a couple of my friends said, oh, man, it made SportsCenter, this and that. So I was just kind of excited. And and then um, I just remember... um, that it never really 
it never really materialized because of what happened in the world that day. So, um, in my mind, I just remember that being like kind of the last night before the, things were kind of normal, mm-hmm. you know, and then things changed after that. So it was a weird experience for me, you know. My favorite play, I think, that year was throwing a runner out at home plate in Minnesota. I don't know if you remember that or recall that, but Luke Pinella put me in the game in center field, replaced me with Mike Cameron. I mean, replaced Mike Cameron with me. And they hit a line drive right up the middle. And I threw out a player at home plate. Gets in a pitch, swung on, base hit center field. Here to third base is Allen. The throw to the plate by Charles. Here's it. Time they've got it. Charles Gibson, an amazing throw. Right on the money to Dan Wilson to nail Chad Allen and keep the lead at 3-2. to two. What a throw by Charles Gibson. And there was no hop to it. It was just a bullet. What a throw by that kid. I'd call it a low strike. <laughs> oh, mercy. Holy cow. Gibson fired that ball all the way. Dan caught it just above the ground, and it was about a foot up the third baseline. You can't get a better throw than that. Fantastic throw by Charles Gibson to nail Chad Allen at the plate. That rivaled the throw by Ichiro to get Terrence Long going from first to third in Oakland. An unbelievable throw by Charles Gibson. That kind of was one of my favorite memories, um, just knowing that I helped the team in that way at that time. Kind of was a little more positive for me. I just remember you being factors in so many games one way or another, whether it was as a pinch runner, whether it was as a defensive replacement. When you went into a game, how did you prepare for games, knowing that you could be inserted at any point in the ball game doing any sort of thing in a game? How did you prepare for that? I, I, prepare, I, I think I learned that because I was sitting down to the minor league so many times early in my career. And it wasn't because I didn't play right or whatever. It's because of moves and having a stack roster. Mm. But that that first instance when I realized I wasn't a starter in that situation, I told you that we and Pinella had that little falling out, that quick falling out. Is um, it made me realize, okay, now Lou just told me I can play for a long time, but I got to figure out what he means by that. What does that mean? He wants me to play different positions, so I have to volunteer to learn how to play third. I have to volunteer to learn how to play second. When they, when they asked me in spring training who wants to learn how to play short, I raised my hand. Those are the things that I took from that. So when I would go down to the minor leagues, I would learn how to play these different positions and, and, and try to um, excel at them so that when I was called back to the big leagues and they said, hey, go pinch run, play left, or go pinch run, play second or third or whatever, I, was, I felt comfortable with it. And then knowing that if I wanted to play the game that I loved, I had to do well when I was inserted. So I couldn't go in for a pinch run and then, you know, miss touching the base. Mm. Or I couldn't go in to play defense and then miss the, the fly ball. I knew that it, it was those are the times I had to be 100% laser focused. And um, I want to go back to the leadership of Lou, the confidence of him just knowing that he come to me and pick me and tell me to come in the game. That was the confidence that he gave me that he had in me that, that made me excel. So I, I would say that that was a big part of that. 
um, when I went to other teams after the Mariners, I didn't have that confidence feeling, and I didn't play as well my first year away because I didn't have that same kind of leadership um, communication. It wasn't saying that the, the positivity wasn't there, but the communication wasn't there because the relationship hasn't been based. We hadn't had established that relationship like Lou Pinnell and I had for so many years. So, for instance, I went to New York, and um, I didn't play well in that situation because the communication there was a different type of manager. Mm. Joe Torrey was a different type of manager. We didn't, we didn't communicate the same, and I just felt a little more unprepared when I was on the field. And that was nobody else's fault but mine, and I needed to figure out a way to play in that situation better, which I did after that year. I learned how to adapt um, when you play for one team for 10 years and then you go to a new team, things are done different and you kind of feel a little bit out of water and you have to find your way again. So I had to learn how to get that confidence back again. Do I remember this correctly? You going into the stands to try and catch a foul ball and a fan putting the, a ball, not the ball, but a ball into your glove to try and fool the umpire? Do do I remember a story like that correctly? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I um, man, I tell you, if you're not, to me, the game was like a battle. You go in and you try to win no matter what. I mean, you play within the rules, but you play you play to win. So, I mean, when I'm I'm trying to die for everything, I try to throw out everything, I try to go over the wall, and then if the fans want to help me out and try to put a ball in my glove and I dive in the stands after one, I would do that as well. But um, they picked up on that pretty quickly and uh, figured that one out. I remember diving into the stands and kind of getting shook up a little bit. And I, I thought I caught it, but I didn't. I, don't, I didn't know. And then I just remember I felt like somebody messed with my glove. And then the referee was like, no, 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 no. I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. I mean, you were such a fan favorite at the time. What do you remember about your relationship with the fans in Seattle during all those years? The best. Man, I was a simple kid from from California, man. I I never never thought I was going to be a superstar or nothing like that. So signing autographs, I mean, come on, coming up as a little leaguer, as a high school kid, your dream is to be able to sit after the game and sign autographs for kids. So for me, um, I had no problem being the last one signing autographs and, and stopping for people um, just to know that they were there coming to see me play and supporting us. And Seattle had, I, I can't overstate this enough. Seattle has the best fans. I mean, they have some of the best fans in baseball. Um, and they were so good to me. Um, I wasn't always the best offensive player. And I'm sure that um, I could have been booed several times, but um, they always were very positive and stuck by me, and that gave me a lot of confidence as well to play well for them. And that's why I would go hard is because I knew that the the fans were uh, in my my corner. And they were very uh, family-oriented stadium and and fans, like um, very respectful and just truly, truly great fans. I really, really liked it. And some of my favorite times there is the Mariner Caravan, where we would go on a dream caravan. We talk about drug-free, respect, education, attitude, motivation. And we would go around the state of uh, Washington, and we would meet the fans face-to-face and meet kids and 
be able to, you know, spread the message. And then we had the Mariner Moose with us at the mm. time, which um, was a big hit. But those are the things that I, I loved about professional baseball was the outreach to the community to be able to, you know, bring smiles to kids, go to the hospitals and see some of the kids that were, um, you know, that had some illnesses or other things that, that would go and make us, you know, put a smile on their face and, and those types of things. And, you know, the game is just a game, but being able to uh, touch some people like that and help people out like that and make them feel better, that's that's awesome thing. And, you know, playing playing the game was fun, but using – some of that baseball fame to help, to help bring some um, pleasure for other people was also an awesome thing. Well, you certainly did that. So tell the fans what you're up to these days. Oh, man. Well, now I, um, I, I actually create curriculums for um, PE for schools, and I'm actually athletic director for uh, a private school right now. Um, I taught after I got out of baseball. Um, I was actually recruited by Kellogg Brown and Root to go overseas to Iraq to develop sports programs for um, the kids there and also for some of the troops and stuff. So I did that for a while. And then I went back to school, got my degree, and then I got back in and then I got into teaching. And I taught special education for a while and coached and then um, moved up through the ranks and now I'm athletic director. So um, just teaching kids, man, and running sports programs for high school. Oh, that's great work. What do you like most about working with kids? I love the fact that uh, they're so eager. It's like they're eager to learn something new. Mm. And um, it's it's like you you catch them at a stage in life where they're hungry for information on, and, they're, and they're hungry to learn something. And, and all the experiences that I've had in my life, I can, I'm able to – you know, maybe it's not baseball they're interested in. Maybe, you know, they want to do ice hockey. Maybe it's ballerina. Maybe it's something. I don't know. But I can help them achieve what they need to achieve by giving them some of the information that I've learned in my life from the coaches, um, people like Pat Gillick, Joe Torrey, Nick Pinello, Dusty Baker, Phil Gardner, um, just some great people that have taught me and mentored me and have been able to give me positive reinforcement to help me accomplish my goals. And so that's what I like to do for the kids. That's one of the favorite things for me. Mm. Well, finally, Charles, when you think about your time in Seattle, do you have a single favorite moment on the baseball field? I know there's so many great moments that you experienced. Is there a favorite? I would probably say when we had the flag on the field in 2001 when we went to the the playoffs and we brought the flag on the field and we all were kneeled around uh, the pitcher's mound. That was a special moment. That was a special moment for us getting back to baseball again. And yeah, that was, that was a, a moment that uh, it's, it's hard to, uh, to top that one emotionally. I'm not saying it's the fondest memory, but it's one of the biggest memories I have. Yeah, absolutely. Do you keep in touch with any other guys from that era? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I am actually a part of the Alumni Association. I go to, well, before the pandemic, we, we frequented, I went to Spain and did a bunch of camps there with Tolberg and um, a couple other ex-players and 
Uh, Desi and I and a couple other ex-players go to uh, Nicaragua every year on like um we do like a humanitarian trip out there and we oh, wow. bring supplies and we teach kids camps there. So yeah, I stay connected, man. I stay connected with a lot of people. Not every day, but we just we stay connected. Gary, Gary Bennett, and so yeah, we have some few people that I stay connected to. I just but Desi Relaford and I and a few other guys, we just pretty much every day talk. It's just something we do. That's great. Well, Charles, this has been so fun to catch up, uh, reminisce on some old times, and it's so great to hear what you're doing now, and hopefully we'll catch up down the road again. This has been really fun. Thanks for taking all this time. We really appreciate it. Hey, Gary, I appreciate you, man. I hope I didn't uh, bore you too much. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.